Good deal. Well, everybody got their little uh, palm cross? It's kind of cool, isn't it? I love these. I like these ones that are slightly smaller because when you give it to a friend, you don't feel like you're giving them some kind of religious relic. Do you know what I mean? Those giant ones that you give people, they go, oh, thanks. I don't know where I'm going to put that. But um, this one's kind of cool. You know, people can take it with them, put them on their mantle or maybe in the car and stuff. So feel free. Use it as a little invitational piece for people who may be joining us for Easter, especially if you invite them. Um, hear that little kind of little thought there, little nudge. Uh, what do you think, huh? Yeah, good. It's more subtle than my normal approach. So... We're on John chapter 10 this week, and John chapter 10 is kind of interesting because unlike many of the other chapters in John's gospel that that has an I am saying, the sayings of Jesus that indicate his divinity, unlike any other chapter really in John's gospel, John chapter 10 has two I am sayings. And so we're going to read it. We're going to go from verse 1 and probably read all the way through verse 13. So let's strap ourselves in and read this together. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. It's a beautiful chapter and of course continues and I'd encourage you to read more when you get home today. So what we have here is something that's really quite important. Now somebody said, just a couple of weeks ago, I love it when you get the whiteboard out. We're not going to get the whiteboard out every week, but it is appropriate this week because, um, because we've got two I am sayings and one is Jesus saying, 
I am the gate. And the other is Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. Now we need to understand what it is that Jesus is saying in relation to the context that he was addressing. He was speaking to the crowd of disciples and others who had been witnessing the way in which Jesus was interacting with the leaders of Israel. The Pharisees and the religious elite had been really quite challenged by Jesus by the things that he was doing. He was healing people on the Sabbath. He was telling people that were healed to take up their mat and carry it home with them. It seemed as though Jesus was a lawbreaker. And because he appeared to be a lawbreaker to them in their small-minded, narrow, religious view of life, they rejected him. But of course, the reason they were rejecting him was because they had no framework by which to receive him and understand him. Because they, like their forebears, had been trained in a way that had led them to death and religious captivity rather than life and spiritual freedom. Jesus was offering life and spiritual freedom, not death and religious captivity. And that religious captivity was something that had been spoken about for many hundreds of years. One of the great prophets of the exilic period, the, the period when Israel were, were, were enslaved and, and, and put in exile in, in Babylon, one of the great prophets of that time, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 34, speaks about the leaders of Israel and he calls them wicked shepherds. Wicked shepherds who exploit the sheep, who only look to their own ends, they only look to their own devices, they only want to use the sheep for their own purposes. These wicked shepherds train the sheep in their ways so that the sheep become self-centered, self-righteous, self-orientated so that what it is that they are devouring, they prevent others from receiving. And Ezekiel says the, the, the bigger sheep, the stronger sheep, they push the weaker sheep away with shoulder and flank. Jesus, probably with that passage in mind, is addressing the crowd and reflecting on the leaders that they have had and says, I'm completely different to that. Now, when he says he's the gate, for the people at the time, they would understand that, of course, this is referring to one of the roles of a shepherd. The gate of the sheep is not an inanimate object, but is a person. Shepherds and sheep lived a kind of semi-nomadic lifestyle. They would move from the winter pastures to the summer pastures in the mountains and hills of Judea, moving from the valleys where the homes of the shepherds would often be found. And there in those valleys, the, the shepherd would tend to the sheep through the winter months, look to look after the sheep as they give birth to the lambs and they go through lambing season. And then very soon after lambing season, they would begin the journey to the summer pastures 
And that journey would be a perilous journey through valleys that would be places where the predators live, valleys of the shadow of death. And when, when those sheep were taken to the summer pastures through those valleys, they would have to take perhaps many days to make the journey. Of course, all of this is beautifully articulated and portrayed in Psalm 23. As the shepherds are leading their sheep, over the generations they would have created sheep pens, often just out of the stones and rocks that were there on the hillside. Now in many places around the world where there are sheep farmers and, and shepherds, you'll find these structures. Uh, Sally and I come from a place in England where you'll find lots of these these structures. They're often circular or perhaps square in construction. The walls are maybe eight, nine, ten feet high. They're made of dry stone. In other words, the stones are put together like a jigsaw. There's no mortar between the stones. And these walls create a pen for the sheep so that they have a place of protection at night. And what the shepherd will do is build a fire near the entrance of that pen and then lay across the entrance of the pen and be the gate of the sheep. So the sheep can't get out and stray. The fire is encouraging predators not to come near, but of course the shepherd laying across the gateway to the pen becomes the means by which the sheep are protected. And so the shepherd has two specific roles a role that's very often manifest at nighttime, and then a role that's very often manifest during the daylight hours. And Jesus identifies these two kinds of leadership role by calling himself by the name of that nighttime role, the gate, and that daytime role, the shepherd. Jesus is both gate and shepherd. Now, when we, when we look at these pictures, it's really important because it's going to help us understand not only what it is that Jesus is doing in our lives, but what it is that he wants us to do with our lives. Because, you see, the thing is this. Every person in this room is supposed to be following Jesus. That's really the point of it. And um, every person in this room is a sheep from the front and, uh, and a shepherd from behind. going to have to see the surgeon about the arm obviously but <laughs> so so each person in the room is supposed to be following Jesus very often following Jesus by seeing Jesus in another person and so you look like a sheep from the front but here's the thing I've never met a single person in my life and I've met who knows how many tens of thousands I've never met a single person whose life is such that there's nothing about them that another person 
wants to emulate. There's always something about us that other people are looking to. There's always something about us. There's always some role, there's some position, there's some place in our work, in our family, in our friendship groups that means that we become an example, a model, a role for others to follow. And so there's nobody in this room who's not called to some kind of leadership. If you have a family, of course, you have a role of leadership. If you have brothers and sisters, then there will be naturally a place where you're offering an example to others. If you have friends, if you have work colleagues, there will be opportunities in your, in your daily intercourse with them, in your, in your daily communication with them, to offer a model, a role, some kind of example. So every person here in this room, me included, is a sheep from the front, we're following Jesus, often seeing Jesus in another person and following him in them. And a shepherd from behind because someone else is following us. So, when Jesus says, I think probably with such great art, I probably ought to leave it up there. What do you think? I think I'm just like. So, when Jesus says he's the gate and the shepherd, He's giving us an indication of who he is, but he's also giving us an indication of what he wants us to become. So let's look at this a little bit more and, and dig down into it and kind of think it through in a way that helps us to understand perhaps some of the ways that leadership has been unhelpful to us in the past and ways in which we as leaders and followers can function more effectively in the future. When you, when you see Jesus speaking about the gate, it's something about protection that he is suggesting is there. Obviously, a gate is a means by which you're entering something or being prevented from entering something. And, and he's saying, as the gate, he's offering protection and provision. As the shepherd, he's offering something different. He's saying, as the shepherd, I'm offering you the opportunity to follow me into pasture. He calls the sheep by name, they hear his voice, and he leads them out into pasture. And so, for the shepherd, it is provision, but also protection. Because when the shepherd sees the wolf coming, he protects the sheep. So, provision and protection is part and parcel of both. It's just that one is the leading element of one particular expression of leadership. Now, all of us have a natural tendency towards one or other of these expressions of leadership. Maybe we're a leader that likes setting boundaries. Maybe you're a leader who is very concerned to offer a way of discerning what is good or bad 
Maybe, as an alternative to that, you're a leader that's not so much focused about the boundaries, you're more interested in the horizons. And maybe you're not so concerned about the discernment of, of whether it's good or ill, but maybe you're more interested in direction, especially if it's giving us an indication as to how to get to that horizon. Now, we've been looking at this together as leaders here at Apex because one of my observations about leadership is this. Jesus, of course, is the fully-fledged, fully-orbed, perfect example of leadership. And Jesus has three expressions to his life that are always present. His relationship with the Father, his relationship with his community on mission, his disciples, and his relationship with the wider world. We call that the upward relationship, the inward relationship, and the outward relationship. And Jesus perfectly expresses all of them always at the same time. He's able to bring emphasis to one of those dimensions at particular times, but he's able to hold all of them in balance. And of course, our calling and our desire and our longing is to be like Jesus. And so we're holding these three dimensions in balance in our lives, but so often it's really difficult for us to hold all three. It feels quite a strain. And so what I've noticed over the years is that perhaps the best way for us to function in community, in our communities on mission as we gather as house churches and households across the network that is Apex, perhaps the way that we should function is to recognize that there are some leaders who are naturally up and in a gate kind of leader, making sure that the boundaries of the group are taken care of, making sure that we're able to discern what it is that God is saying to the group effectively, and an up and an out leader, a leader who is more focused on who it is that's not in the group, who it is that needs to be welcomed to the group, who it is that needs to be found on the hillside, where are the horizons of mission and opportunity? And so the up and the in leader is so beautifully represented by the gate and the up and the out leader is so well represented by the shepherd. Now, in my life of leadership, I've noticed that from time to time, the way that the Spirit works, and perhaps you're like me in this, is that he brings a different kind of emphasis at different times. During COVID, it was very obvious to me that my role within Apex was to be a gate. And so I would put daily devotions in the morning and the evening. I would connect with people regularly. And my assumption, nobody gave me indication one way or another, was that my role was a vital worker. And so I didn't stay home. I was out doing the stuff of 
the gate, doing the up and the in. Now, of course, that was essential, that was important, and that I know for certain people at specific times during COVID was significant for them. But my natural tendency, my, my, my natural disposition is the up and the out leader, the leader who's called by God to lead the people of God in mission. And so as I've been thinking this through and asking God, what is it that the next phase of Apex is all about? I'm sensing him saying, it's now time to move from the gate to the shepherd. The gate, which is a form of shepherding, to the good shepherd, which is a kind of shepherding that is leading the sheep out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most of the time, when we think about the nature of spiritual nourishment, the nature of what it means to be fed and watered by the word, we would normally think that it was kind of something that happened in the sheep pen. Yeah? I mean, this is not a sheep pen, but you know what I mean. It's like, maybe this is where we're getting our nourishment. Maybe this is where we're getting our refreshment. Yeah? Interestingly, the way that Jesus describes it is that you get nourished in the pasture outside the pen. Nudge your neighbor and say, outside the pen. Outside the pen. Wait, what? You mean Christians get to grow by being on mission? I thought we grew by not being on mission. I thought we grew by staying in the pen and maybe somebody feeding us and... Mm -mm. No, we're protected there. And yes, there is a provision that is, that is appropriate there. But really, what it's about is much more the leading beat of protection. There's nothing wrong with that. That's very important. And it's, it's enormously important that we recognize that the pen is the place where we're not only protected from the wider world of spiritual forces that are, that are raging against us, but we're also protected from the thieves and the robbers, leaders who would want to exploit us for what it is that they can get out of us. And so Jesus the gate is the means by which we qualify leaders. If you want to know what a leader is supposed to be like within the Christian church, then you look not to examples through human history, although they can be helpful. Rather, you look to Jesus himself and you say, he is the means by which we qualify people for leadership. We look to him and we say, if the leader looks like him, well, then we're good. But if she doesn't look like him, or if he doesn't look like him, if, if she or he is looking to feed themselves, 
to somehow use their influence to bolster themselves and their own image, get more likes on Instagram and Facebook, then maybe we need to kind of review things again. So Jesus is the means by which we qualify leaders, but he's also the model for what a leader really needs to do first. And what does a leader need to do first? They put the sheep before themselves and they're prepared to lay down their life for the sheep. That's what Jesus says the shepherd does. When they see the wolf coming, they step in front of the flock and take the wolf on. Now, here's the thing. Sheep don't like wolves. And if we're going to learn, if we're going to learn to be effective in following the shepherd out into the fields, we're going to have to get used to the idea that we're going to encounter wolves. Which means that we need to get used to the idea of what it means to have a perfect love that drives away fear. We have to get used to the idea of what it means to live a life of thanksgiving, free from the anxiety that would be generated by the presence of wolves. Of course, the natural mechanism is a mechanism that is for our protection and safety. God put it into us so that we don't get hurt all the time. But that natural mechanism that leads to fear and anxiety is a mechanism that needs to be suppressed by the presence of his love that means that even in the midst of the wolves, we know we're protected. See, one of the reasons why churches don't go on mission is because they're afraid. Yeah? Because we're afraid. And we may as well just kind of be honest about that. It's a fearsome thing. I had a, an amazing example of this um, just, not yesterday, but the day before. How many days was it now? Two days ago? Yeah. Uh, when, when were we driving back? Thursday. Was it Thursday or Friday? Thursday. Feels like Friday. No, I think it was Friday. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. It's Thursday, yeah. So, so we're driving. We're just having a little conversation over here. Um, so, so Sally and I are driving back from Florida, and we're going to stop at our son's house in, in Atlanta because it's kind of like, you know, halfway. And um, we thought, we're in Atlanta. What should we do? Let's go to Ikea. Doesn't everybody do that? So, so we went to Ikea at Atlantic Station and we picked up a couple of uh, doors for uh, some wardrobes that we're building and uh, we got it all squared away in the, in the SUV and we're, we're driving along and we were coming back to the I-75 you've heard of the I-75 it's just out there isn't it it goes all the way down to Miami and through Atlanta and um, in this particular part of Atlanta it's, a, it's an elevated highway and so the on-ramp kind of takes you this way onto, onto the freeway. And the off-ramp comes down and joins 
the on-ramp and is separated just by a curb and a little median. Well, we were just moving gradually towards the on-ramp and a guy came down the off-ramp at about 60 miles an hour. And he hit the curb and his truck went into the air and somersaulted sideways, so it spun on its axis, crashed onto the on-ramp right in front of our vehicle, kissed our bumper, and then came to rest upside down on its roof. Now, there were lots of prayers in the car that we were in. I got out. I, I mean, I was stunned, to be honest with you, because I looked at the, the side that was facing me, and I thought, there's nobody survived that because it was completely squashed. Somebody who kind of presented as a paramedic stopped behind me and she said, we need to see if there's anybody in it. I said, I'm sure, yeah, let's go. So we went round the other side and um, I mean, we just couldn't see anybody at first. And then we saw two feet in sneakers trying to push out of the window on the side of the truck. And um, the person couldn't do it. Well, the lady that was next to me, she picked up a shovel that had fallen out of the back of the truck and was going to smash it. And I said, I think you're going to hurt his feet with that. And I found a hammer right there. Hammer right there that had come off the back of the truck. And this young African-American lad who was stood next to me now, there were three of us there to try to do the rescue. He said, we need a... And I said, use that. And so he hammered it, smashed the glass, we dragged the guy out. It was like a breech berth. <laughs> we dragged the guy out, and he did this. He went, oh. <sighs> my baby's in there. And we did exactly that. And so we're like, okay. Now, what actually had happened was that he had the presence of mind to get us to look for a baby that wasn't in the truck so that he could run away. And he ran away. And we're looking for this baby. Now, Sally, meantime, you know, she's the brains of the operation. She had realized that all of this had happened within 20 yards of a fire station, right there on the, on the off-ramp. So she went across and she spoke to the firemen and they brought out a, a, a fire truck and they closed off the road and then they got the jaws of life thing and they got that to the door because they thought there was a baby in there as well as we did, but there was nobody in it. And um, here's some of the photos, Look, have a look. You see all the stuff that comes out of this, and that's my vehicle right there. And he just kissed it, and these are the jaws of, the jaws of life trying to get the door open. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was kind of the place where he finished. 
And it looks even worse when you look at it like that. So, it was an eventful journey home. But here's the thing, here's the thing. I mean, apart from the fact that clearly God's protection is incredible. I mean, are you serious? I mean, yeah, we really felt like, I mean, literally half a second and it hits the curb, somersaults into the side of our vehicle. It's just, I mean, there's just nanoseconds away from who knows what would have happened. It's not even worth thinking about. But this is, this is what I thought about afterwards. I thought, this world is just chaotic, isn't it? This world is just full of chaos. And the response to chaos is to try to escape. The guy comes out of the truck and he just wants to get away. He wants to flee the chaos. But there's a better alternative. You can be saved from the chaos. You can be saved from the chaos. We, we came to try to save him and all he wanted to do was escape. On May the 21st, we're going to have a week when we follow the shepherd out into the fields. We're going to call it Jesus Week. And on the Sunday... May the 20th, Robert Pittman, who's a dear friend of mine, is a pastor down in Louisville who I've been chatting to you about, who's been going out onto the streets and talking to people in coffee shops and sharing with them the Discovery Bible method. He's going to come and preach and he's going to tell us how it is that he's been interacting with people and having simple conversations that become serious conversations, serious conversations that become spiritual conversations. So we're not gonna go out and do kind of creepy weird things and say, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb <laughs> at Starbucks? Because people will think that's weird. But we are gonna meet for prayer in the morning, like we do anyway. And then we are gonna go out in pairs and just ask the Lord to give us conversations and just be nice to people. Be kind to people, be curious about their lives. And maybe over the week, the Lord will give us contacts and connections with people who are wanting to be saved from the chaos, not just escape it. And what's the purpose of this? What's the point of this? Well, you'd be surprised that my objective is not specifically that lots of people come to Apex. That would be great if that's a kind of secondary reality. In fact, I'm fully convinced it will be a secondary reality. The principal reality that I want us to get a hold of is that unless we challenge ourselves, we probably won't change. And the truth is, that most Christians in America are not gonna start to learn how to be on mission with Jesus unless we challenge ourselves to do it. 
And maybe the only way we can do that is to just give ourselves a week. Now, you know, you may not be able to come with me and others who'll be crazy enough to go into the coffee shops and the bars through the day. Maybe you'll have to do it with your family and your friends, but at least we'll have a week where we focus on Jesus the Good Shepherd leading us into the fields to find pasture rather than Jesus the gate who's protecting us and holding us in the pen. And maybe a couple of times a year we'll do this where we just go out and just express the kindness of Jesus and express the delight of Jesus in the people who were looking for and longing for a transformation in their life. Now, I'm not going to ask for anybody to sign up now. I know you've got to go and pray about it and all of that kind of thing. But I'm going. I'm going. And if you want to come, then take some days off work. Bring the kids. I don't mind. And let's see whether we can learn something about what the shepherd wants to do in that world where the wolves are chasing, where the ravenous beasts are pursuing. Amen? Let's pray together.